This morning, we're, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark, and today we're going to be in chapter 4. So if you take your Bibles and turn there with me, we're picking up at verse 1 of Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to read down to verse 20, and then we're going to take a look at this together. But you'll see, even as we, as we read through this together, the goal that Christ has for those of us that are ultimately calling ourselves His followers is that we would be people who don't just hear, but we listen to what he says, and that's really emphasized in this portion of Scripture. So again, Mark chapter 4, starting with verse 1, this is what it says. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and while the crowd was beside the sea on the land, And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was all alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to come together today to sit under the teaching of your word, to worship you together, to serve together, to spend some time in prayer before your throne. And Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture together today, that you'd help us to grow from it, that you'd help us to understand it, that you'd help us to look at these things and genuinely seek to apply these truths to our day-to-day lives. We know, Lord, that there are many people who have just made passing glances at your word throughout the course of, of the days that you've blessed them with, and they maybe even would consider themselves familiar with portions of Scripture like this. But just as was the case during the time when your son communicated this, It's still the case now where there are many people who hear but never listen. And so, Lord, we pray that you would prompt our minds and our hearts to be eager to listen to what you've revealed to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, 
And we commit this time to you now, Lord, and pray that through your Holy Spirit that you'd speak to our hearts and our minds so that we would understand more about you and your will. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like most of us uh, who live right here in this area, our home is not on a large tract of land. I think, I think we have just about a quarter of an acre, and our home is not surrounded by fields or farms. Maybe some of you have, like, fields or farms or kind of larger tracts of land, uh, but we're, you know, we just have neighbors. We just have neighbors in their yards, and their yards are about the same size as ours, but just the same. My wife and I, even though we don't live on some large you know, piece of farmland or something like that, the two of us have our own way of just enjoying the process of planting. We engage in planting, a variety of things we like to plant. So she plants vegetables. I remember when my boys were growing up, I think they were maybe like, I don't know, like eight and six or something like that. I said to them, hey, let's build raised planting beds for your mother so that we could put these along the side of the house and she could use these to plant some vegetables and things like that. So me and my sons, we built these raised planting beds a long time ago, and, um, and she's, Andrea still uses these things and plants a variety of things. Each year, the, the garden takes on a little bit of a, a different theme. The one year she kind of was calling it, I think, a bruschetta garden because everything that you had in there seemed to make just good bruschetta. So if we had to subsist on bruschetta, other than the bread, you didn't have any grain growing in there, but other than the bread part of bruschetta, we had everything else in that garden. My area of interest when it comes to planting relates to our lawn. Now, some of you know that. Some of you are like, oh, how nice. He even dressed like his lawn this morning. This is true. Or maybe it's because the Eagles are wearing Kelly Green today that I wore this. You can guess what it's in honor of. Um, some, of, some of you said to me coming in, it's good that our church doesn't have a green screen because you would disappear today if we had a green screen, regardless. But my favorite thing to do when it comes to planting isn't so much the gardening in uh, those raised planting beds, but I like to focus on our lawn. I just, I like to, to do that. It's a task that, that, that takes some intention. It's a task that takes some maintenance. There's a yearly rhythm to it when it comes to planting seed and nourishing the soil and make, making sure that you mow it at the right height and keeping weeds under control so that they don't overtake the yard. I had a big uh, issue with that. And by the way, I'm not the only one in our, our church family that's into this. I discovered when Justin started attending here not that long ago. If you haven't seen, make sure you friend Justin on Facebook because this year he turned his front yard into the American flag. It was really cool how you did that. I, I love that. That was kind of fun to watch, that process. So thank you for the camaraderie. I really appreciate it. And um, and I know that other than Justin and I, right, there's like a very small scale of people on this earth who actually care about lawn maintenance the, the way we do, which is fine, because in the scheme of things, we understand it's, it's not all that consequential. But I will say that even though I don't live on a large tract of land, there is something that just feels healthy about growing things in the limited soil that we have. My wife loves it with those raised planting beds. I love it with the lawn. It's fun to nurture it. It's fun to watch it grow. Sometimes I joke with my children that, that my lawn is like another child to me, except it does what I tell it to do without, without talking back. And, uh, and I think in our, in our industrial world, I think it's rather easy for us to live a bit disconnected from the annual cycle of farming or the annual cycle of, of uh, agriculture, I think probably for most of us, we don't think about it all that much. It just isn't really the rhythm of where we live or, or the era in which, which uh, we live as well. But during the time of Christ's earthly ministry, as he was conducting his earthly ministry, when you look at what was going on in the areas in which he was doing ministry, 
you had farming, you have fishing, you have caring for livestock. Those were very commonly understood subjects. Many of the people that he spoke to, many of the people that he interacted with, they were very much involved in these activities to one degree or another. So when you look through the Gospels and you look at the various things that Jesus talks about when he's talking to this group of people, he would often tell stories or parables that included references to these tasks or references to these vocations. He would speak in such a way that his original hearers could easily identify with some of the things that he was bringing up. Now, the portion of Scripture that we just read together from Mark chapter 4, we looked at the first 20 verses of Mark 4, but in that portion of Scripture, Jesus shared a parable that drew from the example of a person sowing seed in the ground. And he goes into some detail about that. Now, typically, when someone would sow seed during that era of history, in many respects, you would look at it and you'd say, it's not all that different from a homeowner trying to plant grass or a homeowner trying to plant some things in a, in a small hobby garden or something, something like that. But when people in that era would sow seed, they would typically take a bag, they would fill it with whatever seed they were trying to, to you know, grow, whatever plant comes from that seed. They would fill that bag with that seed, sling it over their back, and then they'd walk along the way, they'd reach into it as they went, they'd grab handfuls, handfuls of seed, and they would spread it liberally as they were going about the task of sowing it. But as anyone who has ever attempted to scatter seed, whether it be in your yard or a garden or something like that, when you're doing it by hand, you realize that, that quite easily the seed goes where it goes, right? It goes sometimes where it, it just seems like it, it's got a mind of, it, uh, of its own sometimes. Not all the seed is going to land where you want it to land. And so some of it's going to land in different places. And so Jesus addresses that when you look at verses 3 through 9 of Mark 4. Let me reread these for us because he says this, and this is how he sets up the examples that he's going to draw uh, related to our lives. But he says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold, an hundredfold, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So imagine being in the group, hearing Jesus talk about this. You would look at this and you would say, I heard you, but what are you getting at, right? Can you imagine being the initial group, hearing Jesus teach this? They know he's trying to tell them something deeper, but as they listen to this, they're thinking, what does this connect to? What are you trying to tell me? And they weren't sure what he meant by all of it. But Jesus, in this parable, he, he mentions four places where the seed landed. It either fell along the walking path, or it fell on rocky ground, or it fell among thorns, or it fell on good soil. So those are the four places that the seed fell. That's what Jesus says here. Uh, the seed, he tells us, that didn't fall on the good soil, and he gives three examples of this. The seed that didn't fall on the good soil, it was not productive, but he tells us that the seed that fell on good soil produced a very healthy harvest. The way he phrases it here, he says, yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Then he tells us, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what do you suppose Jesus was trying to get at with this parable? What's he trying to tell us? Why does he bring this up? I mean, again, he's speaking to people who are very familiar with farming and fishing and agriculture and livestock and things like that. 
but he kind of gives us a hint of where he's going. It's not really even a hint. It's, it's actually kind of the point of, of what he's getting at. He tells us this right at the beginning. He notices at the beginning of this parable, he also says this uh, at the end, he's, he, he kind of points our attention to this, and he tells those who were near to him to simply listen. He's very emphatic about it. He says, listen. You see it right here. Listen. And then at the end, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he bookends the parable with, the, with those comments. Listen, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So it's clear from Christ's words that listening to Jesus leads to understanding. This is what he's trying to get at here. It's clear from his words that, that this is what he wanted those listening to the parable to understand. But not everyone who interacts with his teaching actually listens to what he says. And that may be a huge understatement, right? Not everybody that hears what Jesus has to say is actually listening to what he's talking about. In fact, there are many people in this world who, in many respects, you could look at and you could say, you know, they even kind of give off the impression of being maybe religious in, in their demeanor or, um, or just, you know, devoted in the way that they, they seem to carry themselves, but even they don't actually listen to them. You look at this and you're like, what is Jesus, what is he getting at here? It kind of reminds me of what James brings up in the book of James. James makes this statement, and this is in verse 25 and then in verse 27, but he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. So again, notice that, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And then James goes on to say, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what's James getting at when he says what he says? He's saying, don't, don't just be somebody who hears but doesn't listen. This is something, by the way, that gets you in trouble in your marriage too, right? <laughs> Do you ever find yourself saying like, I know I heard, but I'm not sure that it sunk in. I know I heard. I know the words were said. I remember when Andrea and I were, were newly married and we would have these conflicts where she would say, now, I, I directly told you this. And I'm like, you know what? I don't even doubt that you did. Like, I believe that you did. Why is it not connecting to me actually remembering what it was? And I remember initially, that's kind of offensive to your wife, Right? My intentions were good, and so what we discovered was there are different ways that men and women communicate. Do you believe me when I say that, by the way? Men and women communicate very differently in some ways, and she noticed that if there was something very specific that she wanted me to remember, don't tell it to me in the midst of other information. That, it, that I can handle one thing, I can't multitask. She could tell me just one thing about one thing, Nothing before it, nothing at the end. Just a very simple statement like, while you were at the store, also remember milk. Okay. While I'm at the store, remember milk. But then she also noticed that she could really stack the deck in her favor if she followed that up with a note or in present day a text or something like that. And, um, you know, sometimes you can hear something but just not listen. It'll get you in trouble in your marriage. It'll also get you in trouble... Spiritually speaking, 
And this is what Christ was talking about here. He's saying, don't just be the type of people who hear but don't listen. And even James, as James was talking about this in his letter, he's saying, don't be the type of people who hear and then forget. Be somebody who actually hears the teaching as Christ delivers it to us, as the Spirit of God convicts our heart, and then act upon it. And he says, let me give you an example. Let me tell you what this looks like. Don't be the type of person that looks at orphans and widows in their distress and just expresses your pity. Be somebody who actually acts on their behalf. Be somebody who actually does something that will bring material benefit to them as an expression to your genuine faith in Jesus Christ. So James was encouraging us to understand that. Jesus wanted us to understand that. And Jesus, in the midst of this, was also giving us a picture of what his kingdom looks like. He says, you know, this is, this is what his kingdom is like and how those who are part of his kingdom are called to live. And by the way, Christ's kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. When you look around this world, you have, you have people that are focused on kingdoms that are limited to geographical bar, uh, barriers or, or um, their ethnic heritage or something like that. But that's not how Christ's kingdom operates. Christ's kingdom also doesn't grow through military conquest or, or through land acquisitions or things of that nature. What happens is Jesus tells us in his word, he reveals us that his kingdom, it presently operates in our hearts where he reigns as Lord and King. And then his kingdom grows when the message of his gospel is shared person to person to person. And then as citizens of his kingdom, his spirit leads us and cultivates within us a desire to actually be obedient to his teaching. And in the midst of talking about seeds and talking about how they grow and, how, and what they represent, you have Christ giving us a picture of the growth of his kingdom. But here's the thing. It's very clear that most people do not understand the nature of Christ's kingdom. That's true today, but it was also true during the era in which Christ was initially speaking these words, as Mark records them here in this gospel. And even Jesus, as he's giving these words, as he's sharing these things, he actually quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. And he basically says, look, there are people who are going to see and there are people who are going to hear, but they're not going to understand what I'm doing. It was a prophetic uh, reference in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 that Christ quotes here, saying there are people that are going to see it, people that are going to hear it, but they're just not going to get it. And so the thing that we're forced to wrestle with when we look at this parable is where do we stand on that line? Are we people that hear it but don't get it? Or are we people that hear what he's saying and are actually going to listen, and these are going to become things that are activated in our day-to-day -day life? And so Jesus, when he was in the big group, as he's speaking to large groups of people, he shares this, but then among the smaller group, he starts to explain it. And when you look at verses 13, 14, and 15 of Mark 4, he says this, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And he starts to explain. He says, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So Jesus starts explaining what this parable means. And he explains that he was the one sowing the seeds in this parable. And the seed is the truth of the word of God. And likewise, it could be said that anyone who follows his example and also plants the seed of the Word of God is also operating like a sower. And so we're, we're invited to do that as men and women who know Jesus Christ, as men and women who are understanding in his Word. We're supposed to be planting the seed of the truth of his gospel in the midst of all kind of context that he places us in. But he's saying, listen, essentially what he's saying here in this portion of Scripture is he's the sower and the seed that he's sowing is his word. And when the word of God is shared, people respond in all kinds of ways. Some people, he says, are like a walking path. And uh, because they're like ground that is just all pressed down, 
because they're like soil that's just commonly walked upon back and forth in a, in a direction that most people find familiar and that most of culture is going, what ends up happening is the seed that's sown on them never gets the chance to take root. He says it's snatched away just as quickly as it's sown. And the way he tells us that this is taking place on the spiritual level, he says it's like this, Satan swoops in like a bird, and he does his best to make sure that the seed of God's word never takes root in that person's life. So one of the lessons he's obviously giving us here is like, all right, don't let your life be like a walking path. Well, what's a walking path like? Well, a walking path is this, this idea, like it's just where everybody's going, just going in the, in the direction that everybody's going, and that soil gets so compacted and packed down because everybody's just trampling on it. Birds come along, swoop in, grab the seed as they desire. You know, Jesus here tells us that's what Satan loves to do to those just distracted with the cares of the world. He loves to swoop in like a bird and do his best to make sure that the seed of God's word never takes root in that person's life. But then Jesus gives us another example. When you look at verse 16 and following, he says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. So he's explaining what this all meant. He says, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So he's saying some, their lives are just like rocky ground, right? It looks like they're receiving the word with joy. It looks like they're enthusiastic about it. It looks like, you know, their initial response is very positive and very joyful as the word of God is being shared with them, but they also demonstrate by their actions that it never really takes root in their lives. And this becomes obvious as soon as tribulation and as soon as persecution happens to come their way. They would rather disassociate from Christ than, than endure any level of discomfort that may come their way by being associated with him as one of his followers. By the way, this is one of the things that testifies to my heart that the apostles had seen the risen Christ. Because when we were talking about this even last week, as we were talking about how they lived their lives and the persecution that they endured, you could tell that they genuinely believed in Jesus Christ. Because when that persecution came, what did they do? They endured it. They continued preaching the message of the gospel in the midst of a hostile world. And all of them, you know, every one of them, was, it was attempted to execute them. One of them, the apostle John, didn't die. Uh, he ended up living through that attempt. But they all, you know, they had the option to either renounce Christ and live or continue to testify to who Christ was in the midst of that persecution and then have their lives taken from them. And they continued to testify to who Christ was. And they endured that persecution. They showed that that seed took root and persecution didn't chase them away. But Jesus here says there are plenty of people that are like rocky soil, that it looks like at first they receive the word with joy, but then as soon as they're tested, you discover what they're really made from. By the way, don't you find that true in every area of life? Isn't that when you discover what a person's real character is? It's not when everything is normal. It's not when everything is fine. It's not when you're having an average week. You discover a person's character when it's tested in some way. And Jesus says here that the rocky soil, it's just how some people are. They look like they're receiving things with joy, but as soon as they're tested, as soon as persecution or adversity comes on account of the word, he says, meaning specific to the fact that they're following Christ, they, they endure some level of persecution. They quickly fall away, demonstrating that the seed never really took any meaningful root in their life. Then you look at verses 18 and 19. There he says this, he says, and others are, like, and others are the ones sown among thorns, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, 
and it proves unfruitful. So he's saying others are like seed that's plagued by weeds and thorns, and anyone that's tried to grow anything, whether it be in a garden or your lawn or wherever it may be, or even if you have you know, great, great tracts of farmland, you understand that you don't want weeds growing up in it because it steals nutrients. It chokes out the good stuff that you want to grow. And so Jesus here uses that in an, as an analogy to say there are people who, as you know, they, it, it looks like they're receptive of the word, the word of God, but what ends up happening is the cares of this world grab their attention more so than anything else. They want this world's riches. They want this world's goods. The thought of prioritizing an invisible kingdom or approaching life with an eternal perspective is not as appealing as what they could see and feel in the here and now. And by the way, in our culture, I think that this is where, this is where much of the peril lies. Because you have, you have people who, you know, the Word of God, it's never given a chance to produce fruit in their lives because their affections are primarily geared toward earthly rewards that have no capacity to last beyond a, person, a person's natural lifetime. And here Jesus is saying, look, you know, the way this tends to work is there are people who hear the word, but the cares of this world just weigh them down, and they just can't get their mind off the cares of this world. And they think, you know what's going to satisfy my soul? You know what's going to satisfy my heart? You know what's going to really bring me peace? If I have earthly comfort and earthly riches. And so they pursue their life. I had a conversation with somebody not all that long ago, um, very much in the last quarter of his life, by the numbers, right? And, uh, and I look at this and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, why do you care so much about that stuff? Like, you're at the spot here. You're at the spot where it's really time to start thinking about things from an eternal perspective. We're always at the spot where it's time to think about things from an eternal perspective, right? Regardless of where we are on life's timeline. But I just think about that and I'm like, you know, how much time can we spend in our life thinking that our hearts are going to find satisfaction if we just acquire something physical? if we just obtain some new level of comfort. But there are so many people that, that that's how they pursue things, and, and that's not uncommon in our culture. I even think of this. Now, this year was a little bit different. I, I don't know if anyone went, went uh, shopping on Black Friday. I don't. We, our family never does. We're really boring when it comes to that stuff, right? We're not exciting people. Although sometimes I buy new pants on Cyber Monday. I have noticed that I can get a good sale on some pants if I do. I've done it for years, right? That's when I buy my pants, one day a year. Pants Monday, right? Cyber Monday, it's when you get a good deal. But, I mean, this year was a little different. I noticed news stories were like, oh, the stores aren't even all that crowded. There aren't all that many people out there. But several years ago, the pattern started to become where you were taking your life into your hands if you went out on Black Friday because you might get trampled because someone needed a new... Uh, uh, like Vizio TV or something like that, and you're like, is it really worth risking your life for a $200 flat screen? Is it really worth it? But why do people do stuff like that? We pursue things like that. We wait in line, hang out in tents outside of stores. Why? It's not really because we think we're just going to save a little bit of money. It's because we think whatever's in that store is going to make my life quality, like a, the quality of my life better. Whatever's in that store is going to make me happy. I'm not happy, and whatever's in there is going to make me happy. It's going to bring contentment to my life that I don't think I have right now. And that's a big thing that we deal with in this culture. I've wrestled with it. You've wrestled with it. We all do. It's, it's, it's uh, just kind of the nature of, of where we are and, and what we experience. And Jesus cautions us about that here. 
He says, listen, don't let the cares of this world, the desire for the things of this world, choke out what really matters. Allow yourself to begin seeing things from an eternal perspective. Understand that the things of this world that are going to waste away and decompose have no capacity to bring you eternal joy. That's what he's trying to help people to understand. Only he can provide eternal joy to the human heart. And then he explains the good soil. And he tells us in verse 20, he says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So according to him, the good soil, that's, that's those who listen to him. They hear and accept the teaching of God's word. Their lives bear the fruit of obedience to the teaching of Jesus. It becomes very obvious in their day-to-day lives that the priorities of Christ's kingdom have become their priorities. They've started to live life with an eternal perspective. And by the way, if you could get to that spot through the power of the Holy Spirit, you open yourself up to the Spirit of God helping you to start seeing things from an eternal perspective. I can testify to you that that will help you in the midst of momentary trials that will help you in the midst of momentary disappointments or seasons of grief if you can see beyond the moment into, the, into eternity and begin seeing things from the eternal perspective of Christ's kingdom that will minister to you in the midst of all moments like that. And here Jesus is encouraging us to accept the teaching of God's word, obey him because we're seeing beyond the moment. We develop kingdom priorities. And you know, when I look at a parable like this, It's a parable I've heard a million times over the course of my life. I've heard it so many times that I even debated when I I was deciding what to speak on today. I thought, oh, you know, maybe I just assume that we've all heard that one. And I go into the latter portion of chapter 4. And I was like, you know what, I don't think I ought to make that assumption. Because when you look at this portion of Scripture, it's telling us that we have a, a, a tendency to just look past the things that matter most. To glance at it. And here Jesus is saying, don't just glance at these things. Hear and listen. So when it comes to this sort of thing, and and I just say this personally, but I hope that you feel the same way. When I look at a parable like this, I want to be good soil. Look at this, I think, there's four options presented to me and presented to you. And I I look at that, I think, I want to be the good soil. I want to be the kind of person who welcomes Christ's teaching. Not the kind of person who looks for excuses to ignore the the parts of God's Word that either challenge my thinking or make me uncomfortable. And the more you read God's Word, there are things you're going to find that challenge your thinking or make you uncomfortable. And I don't want to be one of those people that just chooses to ignore those things because they don't fit with what I already prefer. Or if something in Scripture challenges me and says, hey, John, you know what? You need to sacrifice your selfish preferences in this particular area. I don't want to look at that and say, yeah, maybe someday or tomorrow or, you know, when I'm at another season of life, maybe I'll care about that. I want to look at that and say, all right, Lord, if that's what you say then my answer to that needs to be yes. I was talking to a friend the other day, and uh, hopefully you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I was even joking with our family. We set aside a particular area on the table, or at one of the tables, that we said, this is going to be for the awkward conversations, all right? If you want to have awkward conversations or conflict, do it at these tables. If you want to have... uh, you know, pleasant conversation that could be at these tables. We were joking about that. But I was talking to a friend the other day who was telling me about a conversation that she had on Thanksgiving with her sister. Now, her sister claims to still love Jesus. She says she loves Jesus. But her assessment of her sister is that her sister's been doing a lot more running from him than clinging to him as of late. 
And this is what she said. She told me that she said this to her sister on Thanksgiving. She said, if you really love Jesus like you claim to love him, you'd actually listen to what he teaches. You'd be compelled by your love for him to obey him. And as you can imagine, saying that, and she said it very directly, her insights were not warmly received by her sister, even though everything she said was absolutely true. And so we were talking about that this week. And when I look at a parable like this, I'm sure we can find all kinds of scenarios that sound familiar to us. I think we're familiar with seasons where we were spiritually shallow, like that seed that fell along the walking path. You know, I'll call that a spiritually shallow season of life. I think we've, we've been familiar with that. I can certainly testify to seasons of my own life where I look at that and I'm like, yeah, I was so spiritually shallow. I think we're also familiar with seasons of trial, seasons of tribulation, maybe even seasons of outright persecution. It's possible you've experienced some of those things. I think we all know what it's like to idolize the treasures of this world. That's something that's familiar to all of us to one degree or another. We're familiar with all of those scenarios, but what I do hope is that they describe where we once were, not where we're at presently, because that, none of those are a good spot to stay in. And we've all visited there. We don't want to stay there. Now, the primary voice that we tend to prize is our own. It's been said that there are a few things that some people like more than the sound of their own voice, and there are probably people in your life that you can say, yeah, yeah, I can see that with this person. But the truth is, it's kind of true for all of us. And so what Christ is inviting us to do is to subjugate our voice to his. He invites us to do more than hear and see and walk away. What he's doing is he's, he's inviting us to actually listen to what he's revealing to be good soil that welcomes the Word of God as it seeks to deeply root itself in our souls. So let me say this as we finish up. At present, today, right now, you're either the soil along the walking path or the rocky soil or soil that's presently being choked by thorns or your good soil that's abundantly fruitful. We're one of those things. Those are our options. There are no other options. And so when we look at a parable like this, what Jesus is really inviting us to do is wrestle with this question. What kind of soil do I want to be? I mean, I could be like the soil that most people are, and that's pretty shallow. Most people, when it comes to spiritual things, they're really not thinking about that. They're thinking about now. They're not thinking long-term. They're not thinking with eternity in view. And so I think, all right, Lord, what kind of soil do I want to be? If I want to be soil that's healthy, if I want to be soil that's, that what, that's what Jesus describes here as the good soil that's abundantly fruitful, it starts with listening, not just hearing, but actually listening to the Word of God as, as, as Christ proclaims it in my life, as the Spirit of God communicates it to us. And so how deeply do we welcome the Word of God as the Spirit of God seeks to implant the Word of God within us? This is what Christ is inviting us to wrestle with. And the truth is, it's not really something you wrestle with just once in your life. It's something that we're invited to wrestle with as an ongoing expression of our genuine faith in Jesus Christ. I don't want there to be just a, a season where I'm like, all right, you know, at this point, yeah, I'm good soil, and then just coast to the finish. 
I don't want to look at my life and say, yeah, that was a season where I really listened to the Lord. And boy, life was fruitful. I want to be able to say that about today. I want to be able to say that about tomorrow as well. When I look back, I want to look back and say, you know what? I remember when I was shallow soil or rocky soil or, or thorny soil. I remember that, and I don't want to go back to it because it's too shallow for where I want to live my life at this point. I want to walk with Christ. I want to be open to Him challenging me and telling me things that, naturally speaking, might be difficult for me to initially hear, but I know it's good for me. And then I want to submit myself to Him and just say, Lord, if I'm going to call you Lord, that means you're king. That means you're Lord. That means you're master. And you get to call the shots in my life. And that means I get to trust you even before I see outcomes. And Christ invites us to live that way. And he says, it's a good life. It's a fruitful life. And it's a life that in the end we'll look back and say, that's a life that leads to no regrets. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and for the things that you communicate to us in a passage like this. We thank you, Lord, that you give us the option to receive the truth of your word, to hear the message of your gospel and not just passively, passively observe it from a distance, but rather embrace it and welcome your spirit implanting the truth of your word in our hearts. Lord, I know that it's very easy for us as, as men and women living in the midst of this culture to just be real casual and real loose about the things that, that you tell us in your word. And we know, Lord, that even when we look at the context in which your son gave us these things, there are plenty of people that were just looking at him as a curiosity. Some people were like, I wonder what, what, he'll, what he'll say next. I wonder what he'll do. And they'd look and it would have no measurable impact on their day-to-day -day life. And then there were others in that crowd that looked and just tried to find things to accuse your son about. And yet there were others that looked and said, all right, if he says it, because I believe he is who he says he is, that he is our Lord, that he is God come in the flesh, that he's the long-promised Messiah. If this is what he instructs, then my first inclination is going to be to obey. So, Father, we're grateful for the instruction that you've given to us through your Son. We're grateful for the fact that we have access to the totality of your Word. And that we can look at things here that, again, by nature, we would not be inclined to understand or embrace. But as your Holy Spirit empowers us to care about these things, we're just so grateful that we could look at these things and just say, all right, thank you for helping me to value what you value. Again, Lord, we pray that we would go deep with you, that we wouldn't be people who are, are just shallow, surface-level people when it comes to issues related to our, our faith. We pray that we would be just much more concerned about these things than what is common in the midst of the culture we live in. So, Lord, thank you again for these reminders. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the fact that that obedience to your son that's born in genuine love, something that leads to no regrets. As we look at what your son Jesus Christ accomplished on our behalf, we recognize that here is one who came to this earth with no sin of his own, and yet he took our sin upon himself so that we could experience new life, so that our sin could be covered and forgiven and atoned for. And you tell us in your word that through faith in your son Jesus Christ, 
we experience the gift of eternal life, and that eternal life is not something that's just at a distant future. It's something we experience right now, the moment we trust in your Son. So, Father, we pray that if there be any of us that right now has been living at a distance from you because we don't know you through your Son, we pray that today would be the day that even with just childlike faith that we trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, and as recipients of your love, we pray that we would love you in return and that that love would be demonstrated in a willingness to obey everything you've instructed us. Lord, I'm just so grateful again for these reminders from your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we seek to, to ultimately put you first, that these would be things that continue to matter to us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.